I am glad to be speaking to you, though I have to begin, I'm afraid, with an apology. Um, the title of my talk was given out as um, Eternity. Well, that's an alluring uh, theme. But I expect that for most of us, most of you, um, this has, uh, forgive me, misled you. What do you mean? Well, I mean that um, I should, I think, have uh, called the talk Eternality. Why, you ask? Well, that's the name, actually, which um, a number of theologians give to the matter about which I'm going to speak to you. Uh, namely, the eternality of God, which is often referred to by theologians as his eternity. Two words are treated as synonyms. And um, the eternality of God is not the same subject, of course, as what I expect you were expecting, which is um, reflections on the fact that we have a glorious hope in front of us, which is promised to us, guaranteed to us by our Lord, which uh, is therefore ours in the most categorical and definitive sense, and which certainly we are moving towards by faith in Christ, in fellowship here at St. John's. Those were going to be the notes struck in uh, the, what I expect you were expecting. Am I not right? But, uh, well, first of all I realized um, I'm going to talk about the, uh, the eternality of God and that will surprise people. And then, I wasn't expecting this, I find that I have not brought my notes, which is uh, another thing that I didn't expect to discover. Hmm. What am I going to do? Wing it. <laughs> Thank you for the advice. <laughs> best, uh, oh no, here they are. Um, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> do the best I can and um, as I say I apologize if you have been misled and I suppose I should say if anyone wants to walk out this is the moment to <laughs> no, to business um, the eternality of God is uh, a phrase which theologians do use, uh, just as some of them talk about the eternity of God with the same meaning. The meaning that they attach to the phrase is the 
consistency of God in pursuing his goals, in uh, handling the situations which that involves, the logical, theological progress that he makes, that God makes, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together make towards the goal that the Bible, that does tell us that God is after. <coughs> now, um, let me put it, let me put the essence of the matter this way. Um, This is a study, therefore, of God's consistency um, his let's uh, say it his coherence is the wrong word, but I don't know a better a better one just at the moment, and perhaps you'll allow me a footnote here in case you're puzzled, uh, when you get into your 90s, which is where I am, you will find that a funny thing happens, it seems to happen to all of us, um, words, concepts, which are clear to you, words on the tip of your tongue, in fact, which you're just about to use in saying something important, they vanish. <laughs> and suddenly you're stuck. <laughs> if you're giving a talk, this can be embarrassing unless you can get your friends to laugh it off as you've just done. All right. What do I think then that I'm going to do? Um, as I said, I found the notes after all. I better tell you now, they're not very good notes, and um, as I speak, you will increasingly wonder, I expect, whether they are real notes, or whether this is just some kind of joke, joke that the fellow is playing. Well, <clears throat> as I say, the consistency of God pursuing his goals according to the um, the, well, the, how can I say it? The, interme the intermediate pointers, um, it's, yes, the, according to the intermediate pointers, pursuing those goals over, uh, over <coughs> a long period of time, that is presented to us as a matter of fact, uh, some of it past fact some of it present fact, some of it future fact. It's presented to us in the Bible where all these things are laid out. And uh, what I'm going to do this morning is simply survey uh, the elements of the picture that the Bible draws here for us. And that means I'm going to say just a little it can only be a little, partly because of 
pressure of time, and partly because, frankly, uh, I, <laughs> for one or, one or two reasons, I won't go into them, I am a bit jumbled this morning. Um, and it's partly because I'm a bit jumbled that, uh, uh, how can I say it, I shall, um, I shall be speaking a bit gingerly uh, in what I say. But what I want to say is something which, in a sense, um, will be very familiar to you. You will not uh, regard it as strange. You will not regard it as especially illuminating. It's something that you knew or knew before. Um, it is that the God, God the Creator and Redeemer, God the Triune Lord, God is the God who is here. We're never out of his presence, never out of his sight, never out of his mind. And each of us can count on his permanent pastoral care. And when I say he, I'm thinking, let me say explicitly, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit acting in union with each other as they do. And um, I am not thinking in the tritheistic terms in which I'm afraid a lot of people in the churches do think simply because they've never been instructed as to how the Bible shows the Trinity working. So that's going to be our starting point. Um, the God who is here and is everywhere that we are so that we are always in his presence. Then <clears throat> I want to say something about the God who was, uh, how can I say, was uh, spoken of in this book title by the late Francis Schaeffer as the God who is there. And this phrase, the God who is there, uh, was offered by Schaeffer as a control for thinking about the world as we live in it, as we know it, as we think about it and talk about it. God is always there as, uh, shall I say, the fundamental ingredient in the reality that we are trying to focus. And that is important in a materialistic age like ours, in which those who are not believers and not in the churches um, are constantly trying to shift the ultimate focus of our knowledge of the cosmos such as it is away from anything theistic into uh, a materialistic frame 
in which ultimately uh, it is possible and even necessary to say well so you see it doesn't make sense in the end after all And I pause for a moment to give you a chance to uh, shout disagreement at that way of characterizing Vancouver in this day and age. And I don't hear a word of dissent. And I don't think that however long I sat here waiting, I should hear a word of dissent. I think that uh, we as realists, we know very well that that's what we are surrounded by and up against and um, that's the alternative to the Christian understanding of the God who is there at the root and uh, in all the dimensions of everything and perhaps even as I say it that way, you will feel, as I must confess I do, even as I say it, feel that um, this is something which we Christians ought to have been saying, insisting on, affirming, making a song and dance about much more than we have been doing for the last what shall I say, 50 years, uh, the 50 years, 100 years, the rational lifetime of uh, any and everyone who's sitting in this room. We, as the Lord's people, have been relatively passive, and uh, the materialists, atheists, the... Um, pluggers of alternative views of reality have been extremely active and called a great deal of attention to, the, attention to themselves so that people generally have lacked the incentive to focus as the folk further back in our history did focus on God's revelation, scripture, and the way that it all, the wonderful way in which it all fits together. Well, from that standpoint, Schaeffer's book was a godsend. It started doing something which hadn't been done for a long time. And um, there are still, I'm glad to say, and you're glad to... Uh, glad, I'm sure, to think also. <coughs> um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a reality that um, has called for articulate expression and will call for articulate expression until the Lord comes back. You see how I'm talking about the Christian witness in the world. Um, I know that it's wonderfully performed 
at, um, shall I say, youth and social levels uh, in which people who know the Lord, and you know what I mean by that phrase, um, seek to share that precious knowledge. But uh, in the academic world, though we're very polite to each other, um, the tenor of the thought, books, lectures, institutions generally, is anti-Christian and inclined to the sceptical view that it all adds up to nothing of importance. That's why, but that, by the way, is why some of us think it's a marvelous thing that the, um, the, the, the university in this city should have appointed a Christian of maturity uh, as the president of the university. It's never happened before. Will it ever happen again? We don't know. But in face of all of this, um, the God who is there is the second string or theme that I want to pursue um, as we think of the consistency of God in working out his purposes. And that isn't course, the end of the story. Um, thirdly, I want us to think a little, that's all we've got time for, about the prospects for the, for the, for the country, for the cosmos, for the community um, that we can foresee and uh, remember that God permeates all of that even though most of it occurs with backs turned to him so that the people doing it, they don't think about him, they don't think about the things that they've been told that God is concerned about they write off God and they write off the God-centered God-centered understanding of what's going on around them. So, the, <clears throat> we are how can I say, we're dealing with the God who's here, the God who is there, God who's uh, everywhere and the God who is always the God whom you can never dismiss as an unreality in this sphere of life study or that aspect of uh, work and uh, planning and so forth <coughs> He is the God who 
is always there and will always be there so that this is not something that will change as the years go by. Well, now I've already said enough, I think, for you to realize, um, yes, this is something different from what I expected. And all right, I'll meet you halfway on that and invite you again to get up and go home before uh, you have to listen to any more of me. More of me. No? Well, all right. Your, your decision. There we go. Um, <coughs> the Bible shows you, shows us uh, this God, the God of whom I'm speaking, um, at work in the way that I've described. Um, the contents of the Bible are not always put together in this fashion, uh, but I think that they should be, and I think that they're best understood when they are. And <clears throat> I think that we all of us ought to be aware that the consistency of God is worked out in terms of quite a complicated pattern of, uh, what shall I call it, togethernesses, I'm going to call it, where things in which things come together ultimately for the glory of God. And you say, what's that? Well, um, it is, in actual fact, um, the state of affairs in which God is being praised for things that are praiseworthy, that he has been doing and is doing and will continue to do. I think that that is worth saying with some emphasis and giving you a chance to react to because we, all of us here at St. John's, I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure, we speak of the glory of God as the goal of everything that we do or compass or whatever, but we don't cash that phrase by thinking out what it means. And I'm telling you that what it means is that folk, and we don't count them, numberless folk, uh, perhaps I, I, I dare say, numberless folk are praising God for this and this and this, which his servants have done, are doing, are planning to do um, and it doesn't mean anything less than that so um, I make that point as I go along I think it's a point which some of us may need to have made because as I say the phrase has become a sort of uh, what do you call it um, now here we are man in his 90s, word he knows well, has uh, somehow dropped out of his mind. Um, 
Well, all right. Give up, give up that phraseology and say it in a different way. Yes, there's always, there's always a way out, hacker, if you, uh, if you think. <laughs> think. Yes, and get everybody else to think as well, if you can do that. I'm trying. Um, this is the overall picture of God at work in this world that he made and sustains and uh, in which specific plans and purposes uh, get worked out according to his will. I think I am going to stop there in monologue and invite you to carry on from where I've got to by dialogue. I would like to know whether I've convinced you so far and I would like to know whether you see what comes next, that is, what we as the body of Christ here on earth should be doing in order through the grace of God, with the help of God, to articulate, spell out um, things, uh, states of affairs, uh, lines of action, whatever, that will lead to people praising God for what's being done in his name. Yes, I, five minutes ago I was speaking to that point and I'm speaking to it again now, passing it over to you and inviting you to pick up and run with it, starting in the situation that I've sketched out, where we Christians are in the habit of thinking Will we glorify God most and best by not making a nuisance of ourselves, not challenging what's going on around us, acting, as a, how shall I say it, acting in the secular sense of the word meekly. letting folk with anti-Christian, anti-theistic ideas get away with it, as we say. What better can we do than we actually are doing to make Christ known, to establish the whole Christian way of uh, looking at life looking at the world, looking at the future and thinking about the hope that God, who is in charge of it all, God who is here, God who is there, God who is ever-present, um, is himself doing and going to do.
And now at last, I do shut up. And so, please, carry on the thinking from the point I've reached. What can we best do and get others to do for the glory of God in these days? Well, first of all, do you agree that we haven't done enough? Uh, I am currently reading the life of uh, C.S. Lewis, the late C.S. Lewis, that was written by the visitor who's coming to um, Vancouver next week. Perhaps he's already here. Alistair. Um, uh, Alistair McGrath. Um, it's an amazingly elaborate and full, full-scale piece of work, and um, it's from what I know about Alistair McGrath, who is uh, professionally a scientist, a philosopher of science, and um, a philosopher along the Christian lines that I was uh, that I was hinting at in the things that I said before and he's, he's written 20 or 30 major scholarly books and is I think one of the really outstanding apologists and indeed evangelists on paper of our time Ah, yes. I'm reading this book and am amazed at how thoroughly McGrath has done his work. Uh, It's the life of Lewis to end all lives of Lewis. Exhaustiveness is its mark in just about every page. And it does, I think, um, open some doors which... Well, again I ask you, what would you propose to open these doors and uh, call people's attention in this day and age to the things that God is planning, has been planning to do from the start, the things that make sense against the secular background of our culture, things that uh, really deserve protest uh, in the highest circles as well as the lowest circles. Um, I wish there were some more Alistair McGraths around, frankly. No, I'll ask, I'll ask you this. Has any one of you um, read stuff by Alistair McGrath? Whatever it is, Life of Lewis, or um, uh, any of the challenges to current atheism, or any of the constructive uh, accounts, proposals at any rate, um, with regard to understanding the world around us, 
that McGrath has been pumping out, and he does write very fast, pumping out is an appropriate <laughs> phrase to use, that has been pumping out for this last, uh, well, actually, it's uh, 40 years. Yes, it is. 40 years. And it's, uh, it's 20 or 30 um, serious scholarly books. Well, I ask, anybody read any McGrath and enthused about it? I, I have seen some of his YouTube uh, talk, presentation on YouTube, not his books. But he has given two talks in region, uh, college, uh, I think Tuesday night and uh, Wednesday night. One is on uh, science and religion. The other one is uh, on uh, uh, commenting on C.S. Lewis and uh, Richard Dawkins. Free, free lecture, I think 7.30. Well, <coughs> If you're not able to attend, they're going to be live streaming them too. So you can go online and then you can go on, they'll be on YouTube as well for a little while. Uh, so you can see them online if you're not able to be there in person. Yeah, September 18th is Science and Faith, Conflicting or Enriching. And September 19th is God, Science and the Meaning of Life, C.S. Lewis and Richard Dawkins. Both at 7.30 at Regent. Mm -hmm. uh, those free lectures at Regent at night are good. Well, thank you for uh, telling us that. Uh, how will they be streamed? How will they streamed? Yeah, just go on to the Regent College uh, website and maybe events, and, and it's posted there. And there should be a link or something you can, you can log on to it there. Uh -huh. Yeah, there's a, if you if you click, I'm on the website now, and it actually has a little thing at the bottom that says live stream starts in two days, nine hours, 43 minutes. <laughs> so 28 seconds. <laughs> so yeah, I think there will be a link. Well, that's good. So uh, well, I, I'm, de I'm delighted to find that uh, that McGrath has his. Uh, Shall I say, his supporters? I think we have a couple of questions here. Is oh. there one? I, I was sort of wanting to just make a point is um, for each person to know their strengths and their weaknesses because God can use both. And if, if you ask God to do that, know what you are good at. There may be some things that really bug you as a Christian and, and you need to either speak out or do something or pray about it, but really get that into your mind to, to do something about something that God reveals to you to do. Because actually it might not seem very big, but it, it will be a, a chunk in what God's doing in the world. And I think that's what God does uses little people as well as people who might think of as big. And, and just be guided by God. Know, know what he wants. Read the Bible and really move forward. Yeah. And another? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, uh, Dr. Packer, uh, I actually had a question actually about eternality. 
Uh, you had uh, said before that God was everywhere, and I, I mean, I think I think everyone accepts that um, temporally, God is always has been, always was, always is, and always will be. Um, the um, say the the vertical plane, but the, say the horizontal plane of say spatial omnipresence is that something you also hold? Well, I think that when we start thinking along this line, we've got to remember that what we're talking about is not God omnipresent in a system which is greater than he is. Yeah. A system, in other words, which is a repository for God. It's the other way around. God is the repository for the whole of this cosmos as we know it. Did I say the whole of it? This expanding universe which no one can keep track of? Universe which gets larger even as one tries to say how large it appears at the moment? Well, I think so. Um, but God, how can I say, God, uh, now I'm going to use a word which I'm perhaps misusing. I'm going to say embodies. Uh, it isn't anything like any form of embodiment known to us that I'm talking about. It's simply God in. And I'm saying that um, God embodies the whole cosmos and um, there are no limits to him so as the cosmos goes on expanding the universe uh, grows larger well the relation between everything that is and God will remain the same see that uh, and I do, I, that's something I do mean to say and I do hope is true. I think there's every reason to suppose that it is true from the Bible. And um, I, when, uh, when I try to talk about re reality, I, I, I try to highlight that because otherwise people don't know what I'm talking about. I mean that when, as long as people go on thinking that I'm talking about uh, a cosmos of something or other in which God is contained they are off my wavelength just as they're away from the truth and I want to blow the whistle at that point 